Listen to the psalmist calling us to that place of quiet rest. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. May our patience be reflected in our praise as we sing to God of our heart's desire to know and make him known. Let those who are able stand, but come together, let us worship the living God. My friends, as we, uh, as we ponder the wonder of what God has done for us, as we realize that there was only one who could do that for us, hear these words to the Hebrews and words to us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In him, we can boldly enter that place where God has redeemed us. Tell it to the world. In Jesus Christ, in him alone, we have new life. Amen. Join me as we continue in the most significant book, I mean, all the books of Scripture are significant, but the most significant and comprehensive is the best word, book in the Bible, Romans. Luther, Calvin, Bart, John Stott, numerous others have written commentaries on this letter, any of which would deepen our understanding and love for God. We're going to look right at what God has spoken to us through the Apostle Paul this morning. And we're going to look at how that is a once and for all, an all for one gift. So listen as I read for us God's word about Jesus being the ground of our salvation in Romans 5, 12 through 21. He has just spoken about how we are reconciled through Jesus while we were yet sinners. He says, therefore, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before the law, but sin was not reckoned when there is no law. We don't keep track of it before then, but doesn't mean it isn't effective. Sin still kills. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins are not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one to come. Death came, even though you, you may say, well, I didn't do that, but, it, but death came anyway from Adam on forward. But the free gift, the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. But law came in, with the result that the trespass, trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this very, very litigious word, powerful word, write it upon our hearts and clarify for us what it means to be justified by the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we need to understand this word so that we could proclaim it to the world. And so we pray that your good news would come not now not only in word, but in power, with the clarity and the fullness and the assurance of your Holy Spirit that would enable us to speak your word clearly and distinctly. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. So we pray all these things, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. On the Bill Moyers uh, PBS special, uh, Genesis, some of you may have seen this, panelists from diverse religious backgrounds spoke to the issues raised in the first book of the Bible. And after the rest of the panel tiptoed around the problem of sin, which has beset humankind since the fall, which is exactly what Paul's just been describing to us, whether or not it was metered out or, or measured, everyone knew that from the very first person, death came through sin. In the midst of all this, as they tiptoed around this best-selling novelist, Mary Gordon, got sick of the political correctness and she just shot right out. She said, People just aren't right. There is something fundamentally wrong with us that we cannot fix ourselves. There's the problem. She just said it right there in front of that body that was tiptoeing around trying not to say it. Come on, folks. She says, 
Doesn't matter what theological perspective you come from, look at what's going on. People have been dying because of sin since the very beginning. Paul knew this, and he was equally politically incorrect. He came right out and said it. But Paul came with an answer, and that's the difference. And that's why we're here today. Because the answer for our brokenness and our death and dying for the disintegration of our human situation is one thing. Paul has a therefore. One of his favorite words, therefore. He says, therefore. And as with any therefore, we need to ask, what is it therefore? Right? What's the therefore, therefore? The Apostle Paul said, because of what Jesus did, we have therefore grace. Grace is therefore our lostness. Grace is therefore because we need to be justified. It cannot be. Therefore, reconciliation and justification from the death of the one Jesus Christ is ours because he alone could atone for the gap between God and us, between us and eternal hope because he alone was fully human and fully God. Only one who is both can affect this. Only Jesus Christ could do this. I, I'm going to step out on some thin ice right now. There was an editorial picture in the newspaper, the Nevada Appeal this morning, of Stephen Hawking going off into the stars. Stephen Hawking clearly said any thought of redemption through Jesus Christ is utter folly. But we live in a world that wants to say, oh, they're all going to, everybody's going to be okay. It's all going to, he was a nice man. And I'm not just picking on Hawking. I'm just using that as an example of exactly what Paul is saying. Unless we are justified by Jesus Christ, we will not know anything beyond this other than hell, the hell of separation from God. And God stepped in in Jesus Christ to be that one atoning sacrifice. There I feel better. As, as John Stott put it, it, John Stott says, it is not, it is not, as in Winston Churchill's famous saying, that so many owe so much to so few. It's just the opposite of that. Rather, so many owe so much to only one. See, there's the answer. The whole world knows, needs to know that they owe their everything to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. There will only be hope for everyone if their hope is in Jesus Christ. See, the door swings both ways, and Paul points this out. One person can affect, affect, one person can affect millions, a nation, by one act, as we have seen recently in the tragedies that have befallen so many different situations. One life can bring so much sorrow, but one life can also lead a world to know the hope of eternity, as we have seen in the recent passing of Billy Graham, who spoke to the world of the love that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and the healing, redeeming power of belonging to him. 
and letting what he has done be our hope. See, Paul's point is that we can stand as ones who know that one life has paid for all of us and that we all have in us a condition. He makes this point by showing the good news, bad news contrast between what Adam did for us and what Jesus alone can do for us. What Kurt could do in testifying for his son is nothing compared to what God does for us in testifying for us with his son of our redemption. Because we were guilty. We are guilty. Paul is very surgical and forensic. As I said, he's litigious in many ways. He's like a Columbo or a, or a Perry Mason. And he makes three points and he goes bang, bang, bang. Listen. One tied to another, tied to another. First, that sin, our sin, and separation from God, and the penalty that carries, is carried in that enters into us through one person. We are all born as those children to an addicted parent. That's it. We're crack babies. We may not like that, but that's the reality. That's his first point. He says, who has been born that did not die? We are born with an infection that is going to kill us. And we are going to die forever unless something happens, unless God takes action. First point. That is what we call original sin. It is the classic doctrine of the church. And even if someone were to say, well, that's not right. I should have had a chance. We would have to ask, well, if this isn't right, if there isn't such a thing as original sin, where did this separation come from? Where did death come from? Because the second point Paul makes is that death entered through this original sin, through the rejection of the covenant promise that God made with the original person. If it did not, then it would be possible for someone to be perfect and never die. If it did not exist, if there was not such a thing as original sin, somebody would get it right, don't you think? By now, wouldn't at least one person have been really good and never affected death and they would have been living beyond a thousand years? Wouldn't that have happened? It hasn't happened, has it? No. And that hasn't happened. And so he makes his third point that death came to all people as a result of the first sin. It is our condition before it is our behavior. Think about it. We do not cause death to happen by our behavior before we are born into a condition that's going to kill us because we are going to reject God. When we look at this good news, bad news between Adam and Christ, we need to realize, as Charles Hodge, the uh, legendary Princeton professor and president paraphrased, as we are condemned on account of what Adam did, so we are justified on account of what Christ did. Good news, bad news. Bad news is you're going to die. Nobody's going to get out of this thing alive. And nobody's going to get out of this thing without singing the blues. It's going to hurt. It's going to be tough. But the good news, the good news is that we have a deliverance through Jesus Christ. Now, as we 
as we consider this, we need to look at, at three things that Paul describes. First, the gift is not like the trespass. The trespass, what Adam did in rejecting God, what any one of us would have done if we had been the first person there, was magnified. It is magnified deficiency. We are examples of that. We are evidence that what he did got worse and worse and worse. The longer we live as humans, the more we realize, often by our denial, that we are not going to get ourselves out of this. Have you noticed? The more sophisticated we become culturally and technologically, the worse things seem to be getting. Isn't that ironic? That's the nature of sin. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Things go from an organized to a disorganized state. We are not going to fix what is broken in us. That's what the author on the PBS special said. We aren't going to fix this. Second, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. Sin magnifies our plight. God's gift magnifies the power of God to justify and redeem. We aren't going to fix it. But God is going to do something to fix it. And he offers that to us in Jesus Christ, and only in Jesus Christ. And third, the polar opposites. The man Adam spells our death. The man God, fully human, fully divine, Jesus defines our life. Adam defines our problem. Jesus defines our deliverance. You know what our problem, the human problem is? We think too much of ourselves. We think we're too good. We think we got this one. We want to be in control. We think we can fix things and we at least want a chance to try. Because our pride tells us if, that if we had been there, if I had been there in Adam's place, listen, I wouldn't have let that happen. No. No. Things would have been a lot different today if I'd been there, let me tell you. Because I would not have been so stupid. No. See, that's what we think. Whether or not we ever say it, we laugh about that. We say, come on, give me a chance. And the irony, of course, in this is our pride. And also by our very desire to be the one who decides our own outcome. Our pride distances us from God because we say, I don't need grace. I don't want grace. I want to be my own person. I want to get it right. Roy Parks used to call this wanting to be a self-made man. He used to say, yeah, he's a self-made man. Take a look at what he's made of himself. <laughs> Roy loved that. He's right. Look at what we've made of ourselves. We're self-made people. How we doing? As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you, world? Huh? One, dis one pastor describes our not wanting to have someone to be responsible for us in our terms of our sin or as salvation in this way. We want to be our, our own person, but look. He says the difference between righteousness, right standing with God by what we can do, by our works, and righteousness by what God can do, by grace, is illustrated by a ride on a commuter train. And some of you have experienced this, but even if you haven't, listen. 
Train rumbles into the station with warning bell clanging. The doors open. The uniformed conductor steps out, and you climb on board and find your way to a seat. When you look around the, the, the seats, you see clipped above them tickets where the seats are occupied, paid for, paid for those tickets with hard-earned money. Those seats are belong to someone. They put their tickets there. They paid for it. Those were their seats. Those <coughs> tickets displayed at each seat are the special concern of the conductor who walks through the car to punch tickets and to confirm that you paid for the right to take this ride. I remember taking the commuter trains in New Jersey and I would never put my tickets up there because I was sure somebody was going to take them. Those are mine. I earned them. I paid for them. Nobody's going to get them. Conductor wants them. He can come and ask me for them. Now, if the conductor finds you without a ticket, and you would see this happen from time to time, the seasoned travelers, they didn't have time, They'd, they were late, they just got on the train, you either pay on the spot, or when you get to the next stop, you know what happens? You're off the train, that's right. See, to ride this train, what matters is the paid ticket. This is righteousness by works. You can ride the train as long as you want, as long as you pay, and pay and pay, and pay some more. Now, righteousness by grace, on the other hand, works in a very different way. God's train pulls into the station, bell clanging. The doors open, the conductor steps out, masses of people crowd on board and find their seats, for most everyone wants to ride this train to the city where people never die. People, get ready. There's a train a-coming. You don't need a ticket. You just get on board. Eventually, the conductor walks through the train to see if everyone belongs on board. But on this train, the conductor is not looking for tickets clipped to the top of the seats. In fact, anyone on this train who tries to pay for the right to be on the train will be promptly escorted from the train at the very next stop. That's right. No one can earn the right to be on this train. Trying to earn it will only distance you from the train. What the conductor looks for as he walks seat by seat through the car is penniless, hopeless, poverty-stricken people that he knows by name people who are, his, who are his friends and who completely lack the means to pay and know it and admit it. These poverty-stricken people climb on board with only one hope. They believe in the generosity of the conductor, their friend. This is righteousness, righteousness by grace, my friends. This is what God says. He is the conductor. You see, a ride on God's train is a gift. By our standards, by human standards, it is not fair. People are getting to ride for free. But like it or not, scandalous as it may seem to us, it's heaven's way. It's God's way. It's the only way we're going to get home. Because no one has enough to pay for the whole journey homeward. We don't like trains much anymore. 
Joel Kirk likes trains, Paul Weaver likes trains, but the reality is trains, particularly here in the West, have become quaint historical artifacts. We don't use them for transportation. We'd much rather be one person in the car, all by ourselves, getting ourselves to where we think we need to be. That's not gonna work, my friends. And the longer we do it, if you've been in Los Angeles recently, you will know how ineffective that is. I want us to notice how Paul uses the first person plural to describe what the situation consists of. My point is that Paul includes himself in the bad news and realizes that Jesus offers us the good news of his gracious act. Jesus wants to include every one of us. Jesus is the conductor who stands on that platform going, all aboard! He's acted on our behalf because we could not do what he did for us. The reason for Paul's lifting up the contrast between Adam and Jesus Christ is to show us through our brokenness just how complete God's love for us is. Knowing we are hopeless is not a bad thing. Get used to it. Embrace it. Because when it drives us to the place where God can use our brokenness to draw us to himself, it is rich. Christian singer Stephen Curtis Chapman learned this through a huge tragedy in his own journey, the loss of a child, and learned, as we all need to learn, that it is our brokenness that enables us to see very personally who Jesus is as the much more we need. It's our brokenness that shows us who Jesus is and just how deficient our lives are without him. Stephen writes, in brokenness I have felt tangible expressions of God's grace. I stacked some rocks out at this little place in the woods, a place I had gone to pray, desperate for God to do something, to show up or to have some sort of breakthrough. As I was praying, I remember smelling cedar so strong it distracted me from my prayer. And I looked around to see this little cedar tree that had been snapped in half from my stepping into that place. That was where the smell was coming from. It was a tangible, <laughs> tangible sign of grace. And as I was coming to understand it, I had a little notepad out there with me and I wrote down these words. The fragrance of the broken. The fragrance of the broken. And Paul wrote, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is that broken cedar. The cross is that broken wood that lets the fragrance, that anointing, reconciling fragrance to come out and into our lungs through the power of God's Holy Spirit, breathing new life into us. My friends, the perfect one, Jesus Christ, who was fully human and fully God, overcame what our humanity had done to all of us so that 
all our losses and all our griefs, for all that separates us from where we need to be with God could be overcome once and for all. For all we could ever and never overcome, one for all, all our sin, and all for one, the one of our sin. We are in this together. If you don't know this, if you don't know that God has done for you personally and for every person in here and offers that freedom, may today be the day God's Holy Spirit comes to show you the amazing nature of God's love that makes all things new and lets all that is past stay in the past. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need to hear this. We need to live it so that we can share it. For it is the freedom of forever that comes because of what you have done. Thank you for how your grace multiplies in the face of all we have done and all that we are and overshadows it forever. Let us live in that for your glory. In your precious name we pray, amen. Aren't you glad we know we need God? Let's praise him for that. And as we go from this place, let us therefore realize because we need God and we know we need God, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way.